Welcome to the quarter to three movie podcast of the movie A Most Violent Year. My name is Christian Morosky, and I am joined here, as I am joined here every year, by Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand, do you have a tagline for the A Most Violent Year movie we saw this week? Uh, One twelfth as long and violent as advertised. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right that is the first official tagline of the 2015 quarter to three movie podcast year starting with a bang yep just like they do start with a bang um my backup was for a movie about gangsters and heating oil trucks surprisingly few explosions hmm well oh, we good. certainly get Walker. to that um also, I saw, I saw Skeleton Twins, and I saw Locke. I just want you to... Oh, good. Then we will get into that a little bit. So whenever you want. All right. Or never. Um, would you rather talk about one of those two movies, or both of them, or would you rather go right into your IMDb opsis, in which you choose one of those blurb synopses from a movie's IMDb page, read it, and hope we, me and the listeners, will be able to guess what movie <laughs> you're talking about. I think in this instance, I'm going to actually tell you the IMDb movie title first because I want it. I want it in your head before I start reading the actual IMDb opsis. All right. Like when you hear what's going to happen, you have to remember that that's what it's supposed to be about. Okay. So I'll tell you what it is, and then you can guess anyway, just to be fun. But <laughs> okay, good. I I like this kind of game. Uh, the title of the film is Jaws in Japan. <laughs> Is it about any, a Bond villain? I don't know. I can't tell from the... Here it is. Beautiful girls are in danger. <laughs> At Sunny Beach, a huge shark is waiting for his prey. Mm. College students Mickey and May arrive on a private beach on a tropical island. They can't find the hotel where they booked the reservations and have gotten hopelessly lost until a handsome young man shows up, offering to take them to his lodge. Mm. But something is not right about the place. The owner's fingernails are tainted with blood. What? And I know. And Mickey feels something sinister lurking nearby. And then that's the end of that whole thing. Jaws wow. Japan. Jaws and fingernails. Japan. Jaws in Japan. See if I'd if you knew that like I don't think you would have been able to guess from that. that like there's one me- mention of a shark early on. Is Japan mentioned in the title? I mean in the synopsis. Um, they go to a tropical island. So what does Japan have to do with it? Is that it's not tropical, is it? It's no. That's Hawaii. Japan is not a tropical up. island. Which one's ours? Right. Wait, which one was the interview about? That was about Korea. Ignorance, dingus. It never fails. Yes. Me. That one's weak. Let me start all over. All Jaws right. in Japan. All right, anyway. Locke. Uh, d- did you care for Locke? Yeah. Okay, good. It's another A24, so in a way it does dovetail with tonight's feature. Yeah, I was very, I you know... I'm very pleased with what A24 is is doing. I 
I hope they can. I mean, they, they, you know, there are some iffy things that come out every now and then that they do, but that's to be expected. Uh, but the the number of things that they did, I mean, they did uh, my number one, two, and three movies for last year. I mean, holy yeah. cats, that's amazing that this uh, this distributor uh, releaser, whatever you would call a twenty four, um, that they're responsible for so much so much quality work. I just cannot get over that. And I, that's I like can't. one country winning all the Olympic medals. Yeah, it's like that. It really is. Um, that's really impressive, and I would love to read a story about this this company because they yeah, are, bio. you know, they're as I said last time. As soon as I see that logo, I close my my face uh, and won't watch any of the trailer. <laughs> Your whole face? I close. That's yeah. how much you like them. My face is closed for business. There was a nose. When we went to see Most Violent Year, I think. Um, the, there was a preview for something called um, Ex Machina or something like that, uh, and I and so I didn't watch any of that preview either um, because it's a twenty four. I feel like I can trust them. It's really cool. Wait, which one's that? What one do they make? Okay. I have no idea. I just knew to. You didn't watch okay, it, right? I'm closing my. I have no idea right. what it's about. Huh. What's a twenty four mean? Uh, it means it's that this it's the first day of the year. I have no idea what it means, actually. All right, so, okay, thank you for Jaws in Japan. I really appreciate that. And Skeleton Twins was my favorite A24 movie. Did you? uh, That's right, you saw Skeleton Twins, and what did you think of that? I liked it, except for the part where there's a song uh, that was really good. All right, I could see you not liking that part. It's light. Yeah, but isn't Bill Hader good? I mean, they're both really, really good, but uh, I was really impressed with Bill Hader. Yeah, it felt like uh, yeah, he was really good. They're both great. I liked Luke Wilson too. He was my the character I could relate to. Yeah, well, that was a nice surprise. That was a very funny the character you could relate to. <laughs> See, they're part shoe and part foot. You know, the human foot. <laughs> He's kind of doing Owen in it. I didn't really think of that when I was watching it. Yeah, he is kind of. That's a good point. I just love how earnest he is and how what the nice, yeah. so nice and so real and. Um, yeah, I really like the but the contrast. I thought. Um, wait, what's the guy's name? The the brother, Bill Hader. Yeah. I thought when he does something near the end, it was sort of out of character. Okay. And that was kind of like. So we'll get into that later. All right, because it kind of ties in with, some, with my compl- uh, complaint I have about. Uh, uh, uh. All right, so we're not at spoilers yet. Save it for the podcast. Hold on. <sighs> we are not in spoilers yet. So uh, let, like let me get back. I've spoiled something. It just seems like too I know. Long. You're itching. You're itching to. But we're, we're going to spoil wait. something in a moment. So uh, right. we're still spoiler free. Uh, let me remind everybody that this week we saw A Most Violent Year, a 2014 action crime drama movie about how to succeed in business by really trying. It was written and directed by J.C. Chandor. And it stars Oscar Isaac, Jessica Chastain, David Oyelowo, Elias Gabel, and Albert Brooks. A Most Violent Year is rated R for language I and s- some violence. Oh, it's an easy uh, R. Don't, don't even say no, what. No, it's not. Oh, what? It is. It's so not. It's so not. The Kid movie begins with a bunch of – with their F words used liberally. Stop. That, that's what I'm saying. Mouth noises shouldn't count. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> Rated a kid could do it, a bird could do it. Rated R for mouth noises. Yeah. This There's week, no harm in them. They're victimless crimes. Victim crimes. This week's numbers delivered on a computer punch card, actually, by our quarter to three research and numbers intern. Um, a most violent year on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, most violent year clocks in at 89%. Uh, uh, always a critic. Always a nine. There's always a nine. Always a nine. Uh, Metacritic, which is the average rating from reviewers who give ratings, uh, a most violent year is at 80 out of 100. Always a nine. There's not a nine. Um, The box office, of course, this isn't really – this isn't a movie that you're going to be able to have any real box office numbers for. It only opened on four screens, mainly to make it eligible for awards. Um, So far, it's like rated number 34 this week with about $170,000. But for four screens, running very limited in two different cities, I think, only two cities, um, that's not bad. I mean – the bo- the box office for the the week the the number one is the Hobbit movie two is Into the Woods and three is Unbroken so um, what's twenty six uh, twenty six is um, November Man I think it's Boogie Nights actually they did a re release of it <sighs> always an eight <laughs> so now <laughs> having done <laughs> always a thirteen <laughs> having done the um, uh, the numbers and. I, uh, uh, Everything like that. We are ready to jump into spoiler territory here. Uh, so uh, if you have not seen A Most Violent Year and you do not want it spoiled for you, um, go off and see A Most Violent Year. Come back to the podcast after you've done that. Um, jump to the end when we're going to talk about House of Games. But uh, for right now, Kelly Wand is about to spoil the movie uh, as he talks about uh, I don't know the plot. I don't know what you would call this thing that you're going to do. Um, I have no idea what. What are you going to do here, Kelly Wand? A most violent yopsis. Yay! I like that you did that because it's a brand new Happy New Year, brand new year. Yeah. A most violent yopsis. 2015. Most violent yopsis. All right, oh, Kelly it's an Wand. Arch- instead of Hercules, like last year. Hijack this thing like you uh, hijacked it. Ah, spoilers. See. See. A most violent yopsis. Lewin Davis is a man who's bold, resourceful, and always thinking tactically, although the name of his heating oil company is Standard. (laughs) He's married to Chastain, whose name in this movie should be Chastain, although I was already interested. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's the golden age of heating oil, a.k.a. January 1981. A legendary era back when it was conveyed daily via trucks driven by warring clans of unarmed gangsters. Since I don't know what heating oil is, I just pretend they're milk trucks. Sometimes to ease traffic boredom, I pretend that red lights are boobs, although the reverse is truer. Lewin Davis just can't catch a break in a period piece, but he never gives up. He's like Daffy Duck with cool hair and minus the screaming. He exhorts his truck drivers to stare at people too long, which makes them want to pay more money for heating oil. He also instructs them on how to properly shake their heads after caressing a stovepipe. I lean over to the capsized truck in the seat beside me and go, guess you could say he's a real Lee oil a coca. (laughs) I chuckle thoughtfully. Did you get that joke, Dingus? Yes, I did. Kind of a long pull. 
It's for fans of 81. <laughs> Lewin Davis's cousin or something's job is to get a broken jaw. <laughs> <laughs> He's all, Hey, Lewin, think I'm ready for sales yet? Oh. What? Come that's, on, Dingus. That's so sad. He's acting. I can act, too. Oh, yeah, well, that's true. It's, it's not a real broken jaw. Right. It's not a documentary. You don't know how method that guy is. Look, I can't act anyway, so... I beg to differ, mister. This is acting, white man. Oh, jeez, really? See what you did? That's what happened. <sighs> All right, I brought, that on, myself. I brought that yeah. on myself. I brought that on myself. I freely admit that. Lewin's all, getting a broken jaw doesn't qualify you for sales in certain parts of Iowa. Fuck! Except it. Except in part. <sighs> this is the heating oil industry. <laughs> oh, what about running away from stuff? Yeah, I can see you doing that. Maybe once you lose the crutches. Speaking of which, stop standing so close to the top of the stairs. You're freaking the audience out. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I could think of during that shot Dingus what about you no he's but now I am I was like yeah stop what we already know he's he's 0 for 1 so far because if you have a broken face you can't even see the stairs mm. after making a realist well it's like a Chekhov's gun but diagonal <laughs> after making <laughs> I hate my life I, I mean, it. my brain. After Keep making going. a real estate deal, <laughs> after making a real estate deal with the sinister Amish underworld, Lou and David needs to have two hours worth of screen time of two-minute meetings with people cryptically delivering bad news. If you think about it, we really only go see dramas just to see actors deliver or learn bad news. Once a year, we nominate the five people who pretended to be the most bummed in movies that a few of us saw and give one of them a trophy while simultaneously watching close-ups of the other four pretending not to be bummed. Lewin Davis finds new people to get worse news from. Albert Brooks not only is a fat he looks kind of like James Cromwell by way of that dude on Dynasty, Lloyd Bachner. Wow. Oh, it kept going. I'm going to cut it because he didn't know what I was talking about. As financial terms like bank and terms begin cropping up in the dialogue with growing frequency, even my mind wanders. I find myself wondering when toilets were invented and what the prototypes looked like. Do you never see any black toilets? Maybe that would make them look too satanic, like altars. Man, I need to start drinking wine before every movie set in 1981. The cops come to disrupt Lewin Davis's kid's 10th birthday party, but he and Chastain trick them by moving all the birthday gifts under the house. <laughs> that was weird. Good thing the feds don't know how floors work. Lewin Davis gets mad at Chastain for shooting a deer before he has a chance to tenderize it first with a tire iron. At home later, he's all, You know who carries guns like this? Whores. I lean over to the truck again and blather. Wish I'd grown up in the 80s. I have a getting shot fetish. After the ninth time the cousin runs away without getting shot, Lewin Davis goes to see his wife. His subtitles are all, uh, is my cousin Kenny here right now? Her words are all, no. He's all, are you sure he's not? 
Kenny smashes out of a closet door, runs across the room, and jumps out a window. We hear him land in a bunch of dumpsters with a scream and a splash, followed by angry chickens and receding car horns and collisions and sirens. The wife's all, yes. Lewin Davis looks at me. They finally find the cousin inside this limo on an ice field surrounded by police. Lewin Davis is all, okay, so here's this envelope. The cousin gets out and runs away again. What are the cops at all? Hey, Albert. <laughs> Should we go after him? We're in a car. Lewin Davis is all, no, I don't want to win that way. It's still only 81. On date night, Jessica Chastain honeypots Lewin Davis and goes, by the way, we're rich. He expresses annoyance, but next morning shaves it off. The characters drive to a roof with a giant cylinder that says oil on it. I think to meet the mayor or something. Lewin Davis is all, uh, so I think I'm receiving an envelope in this scene, like Vince Vaughn and Maid. The cousin runs up, waving a gun this time. He's all, you have it all, and I have nothing. His jaw's still broken, Dingus, from the window. <laughs> from the window? Yeah, remember? Ash <laughs> threw it in the office. That's right. What happened to the American dream? Lou and Davis is all, uh... The cousin's all, I guess you're right. Take care of my family. Lou and Davis is all, wait, I thought you just had the wife. The cousin shoots himself in the head or the oil tank behind him and forgets his head's in the way. Lou and Davis sticks a hanky in the oil tank hole and another in the hole in the cousin's head and Aww. goes... <laughs> That's what he does. He goes, ah... <laughs> no he doesn't I guess what's wrong with you that line wouldn't make any sense he goes damn guess you was ready for sales after all a newspaper's all heating oil war ended or not by possible bank loans depending on your interpretation declared savior of city another newspaper's all another non-violent month concludes the end that was great. I'm very happy to see that in 2015, Godzilla is still helping us out for the end of our opsies. Also, well, it's like they made all those spinoffs with all the other monsters, so that's, yeah, that's a good point. Is. Yeah. Uh, also, do you know what your voice for Julian reminds me of? Uh, is that Kenny? Yeah, Julian. The, uh, a young Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> no, it reminds me of uh, the way Steve Buscemi talks to Peter Pete Stormari after he shoots him after he gets shot in the face. Oh yeah, Margo. And he's like, "I'm sorry, first, I'm gonna split a fucking car." <laughs> right. He's like a Muppet. <laughs> yeah. The Muppet got shot in the face. That's how they. Uh, it reminds maybe me. Maybe all the did get shot in the face. <laughs> you, you, it's, it sounds like a slightly more gra- uh, gravity, slightly more gravity in that voice. Uh, There's but it basically reminds- nothing I can't play from uh, an Asian to Albert Brooks. Yeah, that all is your that is your heard. full panoply of characters. Aw, it's beautiful. Um. <laughs> So, you know, the young man I saw this movie with pronounced it a minor Chandor. Hmm. Uh, what did the uh, young man that you are uh, think of it? I really liked the acting, but I thought it was, I thought it felt like 90% of a BJ. Like, I really wanted to what? see the... Because at the end, I just thought we need, like, 
we need a little blood in a bowling pin, like in There Will Be Blood. All right. If the guy shoots himself, that's not violence. It's not? It? Well, I mean, self-direct. No. It's just like a, it's a decision the brain made. <laughs> I should stop. No, you should not. This is good. Okay, well, I know Bruce Garrick's a brain surgeon, and he might dispute some of my findings. But in my <laughs> experience, that's not my All right. It's just vandalism. Oh, you know what it is? This is the thing, and this is what, to me, ruins the movie. And tonight's Mini Penny movie features a prime example of this as well. It's the character who takes too long to die. It's like a character you know is going to be doomed from the second you see him on screen and then they take like the whole movie to get there. So you're saying that the Julian character takes too long to die? Yes. And that ruins the movie for you? Yes. Okay. But you're you're but you also say something about we need a little, little more violence in it or at the end? Yeah. Am I wrong? Am I dumb? Uh, I don't think uh, either – you can't say somebody's wrong about their movie opinion, for one. Uh, number Some number two, I, I could never say you're dumb because that, the opposite is true, obviously. Uh, I just have a different interpretation. I, title, of, go ahead. Well, that title misled me and got, led me to expect that uh, – well, well, let's talk about that um, okay. because uh, – uh, for, first of all, I, I absolutely love this movie, um, uh, and uh, for, uh, first of all, I, I can't believe you focus on Lewin Davis instead of um, instead of his character. And I'm, calling, I'm of course I'm talking about Oscar Isaac, his character from the movie Drive, uh, who of course uh, do you remember his name in the movie Drive? No, his name was Standard. <laughs> uh, wait, what? I don't remember his character Drive name in the movie. Never, okay. I know it was 2011. His, but his character name in the movie Drive was Standard. And I was, as I was writing this up and remembering those Standard Oil Trucks, which is the fictional company that uh, that his character uh, is running in uh, Most Violent Year. Uh, of course, Standard Oil is a is a fairly generic and useful name, but it's a prequel. But I have to think if I wonder if there's a little bit of tongue in cheek because he played a character named Standard. I doubt it. I doubt J.C. Chandler. Former doing driver. That. He probably did. he wrote the script without that in mind because uh, because he's writing about an area that he grew up near that those that that uh, that area that uh, that a, that Abel Morales is buying um, is an area he knew when he was growing up. Um, so this this particular telling this particular story is close to J.C. Chandra's heart. Um, so I'm sure Standard Oil was something he had in mind to begin with. But I just love that the character uh, Oscar Isaac plays in Drive is is named Standard. He would have noticed that connection. So oh, it's I'm like sure they did. I'm sure they said something about it, but I don't think he did it on purpose. Uh, but anyway, um, I think. When when you're looking at the name at the title of the movie, I think you have to look at the idea of when it is set. Most um, mostly, instead of looking at whether or not the movie uh, shows a lot of violence, um, and I, I didn't necessarily know this about New York at the time. This is well before I, I ever lived in New York City. Um, but one of the things that I notice as I'm watching it um, is that. Uh, 
there there's this almost constant it's not constant but you hear it a lot of times when characters click on a radio or when there's a radio on in an office or whatever you're hearing reports of miscellaneous of violence going on in the background you just hear like a snippet of a story so and so got stabbed two police shot and and you hear that whenever somebody clicks on a radio it's some background report about violence and um, and then even the DA later on talks about what, how violent, uh, how violent, all the violent crime that he's having to deal with at this time in the city, and how he can't, um, he can't abide the idea of them arming their truck drivers because he's dealing with so much violence anyway. And when I did a little bit of research, it turns out that 1981 was one of the statistically the most violent years in New York City. Um, this was the year that Bernie Getz actually armed himself, uh, you know, and became a vigilante. I think I don't know that he committed the crime that year, but that's the year that he that he that New Yorkers started kind of arming themselves. So, so 1981 is known as a violent year statistically in New York City, and I think as you sort of look at the movie as specifically set in that time for that reason, then what develops in this family and in this man's life as he's trying to shepherd his family and his business and himself through this very difficult time without becoming like the time, um, I think that's why the movie's called that more than us expecting to see like a bowling pin with blood on it. But obviously, the title's supposed to refer to his character, ironically. Or um, I, I think so. I think it's supposed to refer to um, the setting that he, that where he is in his life, where and 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 how he navigates himself through that. Because, because regardless of the fact that this is a most violent year in the world, in his world, especially violent upheaval in his family in his business and in in the backdrop of the city where he is um he doesn't succumb to that i mean that's very very important that when he chases down that truck driver that uh, the hijacker and he chases him all through the subway and chases him down to that platform and beats on him and he has a chance to blow that guy's head off even when the guy's taunting him he refuses to do it he won't become that thing that jessica chastain is kind of demanding that he become in a way um and i just love that i love that that i love the way this movie plays out uh because for me this movie plays out as almost an anti-gangster movie or an anti-mobster movie uh instead of becoming something like uh, like goodfellas or uh or a movie like that, where you expect this sort of seedy underbelly to sort of burble up when Jessica Chastain first suggests, should I call my brother? Should I call my father? Um, I, I kept expecting the movie to burst into that. And that it refused to was, is one of my favorite things about the movie, that, that the movie does not go into these uh, gangster cliches. It does not let him go down that path he refuses to do those things and it's a different character than the sort of the cliched gangster character that we see does he because i'm not sure if i got the ending does he though descend to that point by the end because the part you're talking about where he pistol whips the dude is like about halfway through the movie if i'm not right i don't think so, so no so what do you mean well, by the end, after he's 
this is huge spoiler, but I, I want to make. I'm really curious what your answer is to this because that's okay. We're I, in spoiler I I, territory. Go for it. Okay, it's been so long. I forgot the rules. Uh, <laughs> when he tells Jessica Chastain and he's shaving, mm-hmm. which is a sign that he's you know he's changed his mind on things too, and he's like, okay, yeah, we're going to use the money. It's the smart play. Is everything he does is that like his first step towards? Is that like? Um, What's his name taking the money and a serious man and everything after that? He's like on a new tangent, and so he's become uh, Michael Corleone, Godfather 2. Um, that's an interesting way to put it. That's not the way I read it, but I think you could read it that way. Because I re- didn't realize I was watching the last scene of the movie until after it was over, and then I. So I wasn't like cataloging it as the actual end of the movie. So I thought maybe I might have missed something. Well, I think the last scene of the movie is is basically J.C. Chandler going, this is the character, this is the theme of the movie, and he just – I mean he lays it out in that line when um, when uh, when Abel or Abel – I'm not sure how you pronounce his name – says, uh, you should know I have always taken the path that is most right. That is the point. That It, it isn't that he's – somehow flipped a card and now he's going down the Michael Corleone path. It's that all along he's taken the path that is most right. The result isn't important to him. It's the path that he's taken and as long as it is most right that is good enough for him. And he's very, very careful about that. So the so that and I just love that you brought up that scene where he's where he's standing there shaving because the night before when he finds out about about the bank account he is livid right. he is so angry because she's she's done something that that he feels is corrupt and that could destroy them and he's been so careful and somewhat sanctimonious in being so careful and maybe that's not a fair way to put it but I think by morning he understands she's taken the path that is most right and this is most practical and will save them because going with Peter's money would be far worse for them. It would get him far dirtier and would get him in far more trouble because Peter says to him, we are not the kind of people you want to be owing three quarters of a million dollars to. And he goes, I know. Uh, and, and he says, I have, I have spent my life trying to keep from becoming a gangster and now I owe these people on the, on, at my big, the biggest deal of my life. I owe them. And he he hates that. So I think by morning he understands she has taken the path that is most right. It's not perfect. It is not ideal. Um, It is certainly not legal. (laughs) Um, But what he says to the DA at the end, I've taken the path that is most right. And the DA says, yeah, I get that, and we're going to work together now. That's sort sort of a weird sort of Casablanca kind of thing that happens at the end there with the two of them. You know, we're going to have a beautiful friendship. Neither of us are really going to like it particularly much, but it's going to it's going to make us rich. Right. It's the eighty one Casablanca. Right. I think it is. I See, really think it kind of is. I don't know if I totally trust my take on this movie, um, just because it has almost the exact same plot line. It feels like as the Gambler, which I just saw. So I might just be burned out on that scene playing <laughs> of a guy <laughs> scrambling around, driving around to different people, and going, "Look." I got a week, da 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 da. But so, having said that, when I recollect the movie and I played on my in- internal projector, mm-hmm. I, I uh, wait. His first name's Oscar. It's Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac, yeah. Oscar Isaac. He's so good at this movie. 
He's amazing. He's C for C. Absolutely. Now, I really have a lot amazing. of affection for his character. Yeah. Yeah. What do you? Do you have a favorite scene? Uh, remind, ask me that again on lock later. Lock All right, I sure will. My favorite line in that. Um, I think I like the scene where he's giving the speech. What speech do you mean? Where he's telling the the uh, the sales kids. The inter- yeah, the sales kids. Um, how to stare at people. Oh, yeah. I love that scene so much. I love the intensity that he exhibits yeah. and uh, and his I love the way he plays it with this earnestness, but it's clear that he's um, I mean that thing where he's like you will never do something harder than stare at somebody in the eye and tell them the truth and yeah. the way he holds their gaze and that when that guy laughs he says that's not a joke but he doesn't belittle them and he looks at them he exactly shows what he wants he's training them to do exactly that i love that scene so freaking much and when he does it when he when it happens in the movie i go oh he's doing theater for their benefit but as the movie goes on it's like no he really is that guy yeah actually he totally believes what he's saying absolutely absolutely yeah and that's why before i even know what the movie's about and there's there's some of that cool jargon that we were talking about we liked and uh what we just say <laughs> <laughs> two weeks ago anyway um but like i didn't know like wait is heating oil the front for their actual thing is that like their laundering but no he's just like a heating oil guy and that's like how well, that's the thing you keep expecting that other thing to happen you keep yeah. expecting jessica chastain to become this lady Macbeth who all these horrible things that she's done and you keep expecting this uh, seedy underbelly and crime is just going to be that's what's going to come to the forefront and that never happens he's he's the real deal i mean he he's not perfect but he's not a mobster either um he's a guy trying to make it as best he can you know this sort of we follow standard uh industry practices i don't know what that means um (laughs) yeah right is he talking about his company or the laws and when Albert, I think, Albert Brooks asks him, "Why do you do this? Why are why, why do you want to do this? Why, why do you fun. want this life?" And his response is, "I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> he really believes he's doing what he should be doing in life. But does he know what he's talking about? And he's just saying that's his way of putting it. That it doesn't. It means less to him. It's part I, of his rise passage. Or does he not know what he's talking? About? I think he honestly doesn't get the question. What do you mean? Why am I? Do- this is my life. What do you mean? Why am I doing this? Any more than he understands. So he's not playing dumb. I don't think so. No, I don't. I really don't. I think that he has this great mixture of of intellect and earnestness, with a little bit of idealism, but an understanding of practicality. I mean, he's just such a fascinating character, and it's so refreshing to see uh, to see them get to play that character all the way through without devolving into some sort of seedy um i don't know corruption or or whatever i really really like this character a lot i like the character a lot too and i think maybe i felt frustrated because i couldn't tell by the end whether he'd gotten screwed or not what do you mean become best well does he does it all work out or is he is that is uh kenny's scene at the oil tank supposed to reflect like 
things are gonna things are gonna get worse, and this is just like a, an omen for how things are gonna go for him. Oh, I don't know. I don't think that that's supposed to be. I think it's, that that's basically the capper. If you'll excuse the disgusting imagery, um, I, I, I honestly think that that final scene with the DA means that he's gonna that Abel's gonna be able to claw his way out of this. It's gonna take a lot longer. So much for unleaded. So <laughs> very nice. I wanted to be here. Uh, I think it's going to take a lot longer because the people he has to pay back the the crappy mortgage loan he got uh, thanks to his brother, the the people he borrowed from, um, the the granddaughter and the grandfather. Uh, he luckily he doesn't have to borrow from Peter, but he's going to have to save money for his family. The interest rates he's going to be paying and the amount of money he's going to have to pay. I mean, it's going to be much harder for him than he anticipated, but, he's, but he'll prevail. I think so. I mean, I think what you see in in forging that relationship at the end with uh, David Ayalu, I think you see there is a sense of uh, hope going in the end that that he has worked so hard. Now it's devastating what happens to Julian um, or what Julian does, but I I think that he's come through all of this. He's weathered this violent year and. There's a sense that because he's going to help this guy with his political aspirations, this guy's going to help him, and the legal troubles are going to go away. And that's not a cautionary tale. What do you mean? Well, he helps that guy, but it's going to be like he's getting in over his head the same way he was with Peter, but it's just going to be a different team. Um... Like Godfather uh, Three, the higher up you go, the more corrupt you get, kind of thing. Perhaps, I I certainly don't read it that way though, because if he wanted to get into, if the movie wanted to lead him down that path, they it certainly could have. It could have scored it right. Right. So is it a biblical ending, or it's your? Because when you said at first, oh well, it doesn't matter how the destination is as long as he takes the righter path. Right. Well, that's what that's what he's talking about, right, right, right. But like at the end of Serious Man, I get a sense of which way things are going to break. And oh yeah, I wasn't sure if I'd missed something or not. That's because a tornado's heading their way. Exactly right. There's only one way to. Re- There's not. It's not a benign tornado. No, no. Like it's it, not. like an end of the storm where it help, heals families. But, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> but in this. It's an A24 movie, so I want to like leave no rock unturned. And, uh, uh, no, I, I, I certainly got the, se- the sense at the end that that he had made it through. It's going to be a really hard road for him, but given so everything most, we've seen, he can do this. The title would be A Most Violent Decade. Like That's the next nine years we would expect. But since it's so. here, we know it's concluded. Things are looking up for him. I, I think so. I think that's what the movie is intending there at the end, that uh, that Abel has made it through. I mean, and, and he's made it through with most, let me say this, with most of his soul intact, with most of his conscience intact, um, and with most of, you know, his purity. And not purity, but uh, with most of himself intact. Uh, not all of it, because I think, once again, his point is that uh, I've taken the path that's most right. Not And his implication is... That doesn't mean I've done everything right. It's just I've done what is most right. 
And I love uh, that message. I love I love that the movie ends on that message, and he's not some Boy Scout. It's not like the way Elliot Ness is shown in The Untouchables is just above all reproach. Until at one point, right, he finally decides to uh, listen to Sean Connery and break break things down. Integrity diminishes every generation. So maybe that's why this had to be a period piece, because guys like this don't exist anymore. Well, I, I, that's true, but I also really do think that J.C. Chander was setting it at this time because of the level of violence in New York. And he's setting what this guy is going through set against that violent upheaval in the city. I mean, the city looks like that city then. The the subway is absolutely disgusting with graffiti. Um and the kind of violence that's going on in the streets that you hear about constantly on the radio seems just commonplace. It's common. Uh, but he is not a common man. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want to succumb to that. He's not going to allow that. Even when given the opportunity to shoot somebody, he won't. Even when chasing that guy through the snow, he kind of lets the guy go. Um, and he objects to his wife bringing home a gun that will endanger their family or his drivers carrying guns that will endanger his his business and endanger their lives. I mean, he's he's got reasons for these stands that he's taking. Yeah. So when he puts the hanky in the oil tank, because I thought to me, like, that seems like a reasonable thing to do, but it's not supposed – we're not supposed to go, oh – Look what he's become. He's put the hanky in the oil tank. Well, well, he's just he's just spent an an extra eleven thousand dollars for that oil, so he's right. going to save it. I mean, he he can't afford not to, and he's promised Julian that he's going to look after that guy's family, and doing that is not going to be cheap. <laughs> so, I mean, he's spent eleven thousand dollars extra for this this particular fuel so yeah he's gonna save it regardless of what just happened and then he's immediately going to do the right thing call the police and not cover this up let's do this the right way i mean even then at this moment at his biggest victory when this could make everything come crumbling down if you panic he says that call the police let's do this the right way yeah although he's also over the hump at that point too yeah kind of sure this one's an easy out compared to what he's been dealing with. Uh, so hanky. so uh, what did you think of Jessica Chastain in this? Uh, she's really good. She's not in it as much considering – like it's mostly his movie. It's about his character. Right. Um, but it was a role I hadn't really seen her play yet, so it was kind of – it seemed like a juicy, fun role. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me a little of what she does in Take Shelter, though. I mean, Yeah, I thought of that, too. She's like the dream version of herself in the movie. Right. Well, <laughs> she's time. she's got this weird uh, uh, street toughness, and um, I was wise. yeah, which was really good coming off Interstellar, which was like the last Chastain I saw. So I kind uh, of hurt. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she, her body type looks so different to me. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. True. And then I read articles like, oh, our New York accent keeps going in and out. It's like, I don't know if I know a New York accent. Boy, I didn't even notice that. I yeah, didn't, I didn't know that people were saying that about her. Oh, God, I couldn't have cared less. I was yeah. just so pleased with how her character shook out um, that she didn't become this Lady Macbeth kind of character who was utterly evil. Yeah that you could hate, that she was doing the best she could, and also trying to push her husband, but knowing where the line is. Um 
as far as what she could get away with and what he would tolerate. Uh, I really like that. My, one of my favorite moments in the movie is when um, they're signing the papers uh, with, I think it's Joseph um, and the other, uh, uh, I don't know if they're Hasidim. Um, whoever those Jewish dudes are that they're signing the papers with. And uh, Abel goes outside of the trailer and puts the papers down on the dash on the uh, hood. And she just goes, these fucking guys. And at first I was like, what? And then I realized, oh, they won't let a woman be in the meeting with them. Um, and that's, oh. why, that's why he has to go outside to get those papers signed because they won't tolerate a woman in a business meeting. Uh, they're not allowed to because of their religion. And so Abel comes outside with the papers for her to sign and she just like rolls her eyes and goes, these fucking guys. And I love that moment. I love what it says about her character, what it says about women at that time and, 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 and who she might have been had this movie been set in, say, 2014 instead of 1981. There is one woman at that other meeting, at the dinner one. At the dinner, the banker dinner? Yeah, the one where he says stop. And there's also one of the salespeople is a woman. Um, this always like one person. Right. So, so I think that that's just J.C. Chander writing what he wants to write. But I, I love the way she reacts to those guys and says those fucking guys. I love that. So yeah. Much. One of my favorite things, because it took a second for the for the coin to drop for me on that. I went, oh, that's why she that's why he's gone outside, because she's not allowed to be in there with them. It's great. That's another uh, reason for a character to be cranky. <laughs> right. Very good. Um, uh one of the things I absolutely love about this movie again and why I think of it as sort of an anti-gangster, uh, anti-normal way these, these types of movies are made, and I'm kind of thinking specifically about, um, say, Goodfellas or American Hustle, is that uh, J.C. Chandler does not overload this movie with a bunch of hits from 1980. Um, yeah. And just overwhelm us on the soundtrack with that. He's that's not what he's about. This is sort of an, the antithesis of that kind of movie. It's a it's it's a quiet character drama that's nevertheless very exciting and still has some violence in it, but isn't going to hit you over the head with a bunch of uh, super flashy costumes and loud loud music. I mean, there's some good soundtrack music, but other than that, he's not putting a bunch of hits on the soundtrack. I can never tell what your movie's taking place during until I see the phones. Uh, I knew, oh, okay, I knew it was pretty it. early because we saw the World Trade Center at the very beginning, and then the toll booth, the cars are going, that are going through are clearly older cars. Um, but I wouldn't have been able to peg 1981 certainly. Yeah, and we don't like like I don't remember that being called the most violent year that year. Uh, I don't either. I just went and sort of did a little research on it because I didn't understand I didn't quite understand why the movie was called that other than I kept getting these nagging remembrances of news bits of news on the radio about stabbings and whatnot that were constantly like in the background uh, that makes more sense now so uh, forget everything I said before no you can, you're, you're perfectly uh, you're perfectly right to have your own interpretation of it <laughs> well, not, not if I have less information. <laughs> uh, then I'm not entitled. Right. But that makes more sense. But now I have to relate that to his character because I thought, oh, it just means it's his violin here. Right. Uh, but those have to... Ref- 
reflect each other. Okay, I'll think about it. We'll do a podcast about the movie once I think about it. All right, good. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, yeah. Speaking of which, do you have? Let's let's move on to our over under. Um, unless you have anything else you'd like to like ask me about or say about the movie, um, do you have a movie that you would place over uh, a most violent year? Uh, my over is actually Lock, which I saw right Whoa. after it. Crazy. It, they're they're not really very similar movies, I guess. But the fact that um, I saw them back to back, and Oscar Isaac's character was all about heating oil and stuff, and then two days later, I see a movie about a dude who's all about concrete porn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I, I see the connection. Okay, all right, all right. Because I, all right, I wasn't sure if that was a long pull or not. No, but, no. As we were talking, I started to think about that a little bit, and that's a connection that I missed initially. And I think that that's uh, that's a perfectly fine connection. Because okay. I love the way I love the way that character Locke talks about concrete. Yeah, yeah. And is I? It's all sort of an excuse for me to tell you my favorite line from Locke is when he goes, is when he tells that guy on the phone that narrows it down. Uh, I'll do it <laughs> as a favor for the concrete. Right. right. <laughs> do you remember when he said that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that line so much. Yes, I love his uh, his a twenty four his sense almost of worship for it or of of just the passion that he has yeah. for it, which seems like such an odd thing to have passion for. But he's he's, he's right. so he can't simple say I and direct. Or sorry, he can't say I'm sorry or I love you. But he could like that. He just blurts that out like to anyone. Look, I know you've had a few ciders, but I got to do this as a favor for the concrete. I love you that, said- and I forgot that line. That's great. Uh, and I read I read that they shot that movie in real time. Like, he did all that in a night, which really? is pretty made. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what to stop. I just want to run. All right. Yeah, true. All right, fine. So I'm glad it, really, I'm glad it worked for you. I, I cannot get over that movie. And I, I did, like, Most Final Year is really, really good. Like, I really liked Oscar Isaac's character. So when I pick Locke as an over, it's not so much to besmirch the former yeah yeah i had had trouble with that too because i liked this so much i mean had i seen it maybe earlier and had a chance to process it more it might have wound up on my list um but as i I said it it, well Uh, i'm afraid you know i'm uh, it's certainly a better movie than my number 10 movie began again um it's 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 a more well-made movie but but again our lists are what we liked best and i i just I i liked it so much a week later, I really regret not having Guardians of the Galaxy on my list. I feel kind of <laughs> dumb. No, don't feel dumb. Your list was perfectly fine. No. That so, was a- uh, for my over for uh, a most violent year, I would choose. And again, I'm like you. I, I don't really feel necessarily feel this way, but I needed to choose a good movie that has themes that were reminiscent of this. And in in this movie, the characters go a different different way than the character in Most Violent Year, and that would be Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Oh, I didn't see that. Uh, well, I really right love... One? What'd you say? No, I get that mixed up with the movie. Which one's it's, that? Uh, it's Sidney Lumet, um, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman, and um, yeah, I need to see that. Ethan Hawke, I think. So it's, it's just this... Uh, it, it, they, they make a different choice, let's say, than um, than he makes in uh, a most violent year. So I went in and chose that for my over and for my under. Um, I chose the movie Casino, <laughs> which That's is a, a good one. I really, yeah. despise, I despise that movie. 
As much as I love Goodfellas, I, I hate Casino. Sharon Stone's good in it. Yeah, I know. I just remember watching it. And Playing an annoying character. Sitting there with my arms crossed going, really? You're just going to remake the other one or just you know, sort of do a parody of yourself? So what would you choose as your under for uh, Most Violent? And it's got Rickles. Yeah, it does have Rickles. Rickles is in too many Scorsese My under is uh, Maximum Overdrive because trucks. <laughs> maximum Overdrive because trucks. All right, yeah. fair enough. We're Donnie Brasco. So moving on, we've uh, we've now done our over under. We have talked about a most violent year. Uh, every week, uh, we discuss a movie that was inspired by the previous week's movie. <laughs> now two weeks ago, right? Now two weeks ago, because last week we did our uh, best of uh, list show, uh, where we talk about our top ten movies of the year. The week before that, we did a movie called The Gambler, and um, after watching The Gambler, I started thinking about a movie I truly love uh, a movie directed and written by David Mamet called House of Games. Um, so I wanted to give us a chance to watch that over the intervening weeks and then talk about it a little bit. And then you'd, had, you, you'd seen it before, right, Kelly? Yeah, there was stuff, there was stuff in it I didn't remember at all. I didn't remember the first ten minutes at all. Oh, really? Yeah. What, like, what, 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 what didn't you, that whole opening poker scene? No, no, see? That's where I thought the movie started in my memory, but like all her patience. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And all that. And the lunch with her friend. I didn't remember any of that from my last viewing. Right. Like there's like 10, 15 minutes before like the parts of the movie where it kind of gets good. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and Joe Montana, if I may, he becomes the character who takes too long to die at the end. I'm just saying. Ah, okay. But that's what I thought like you were referring to. With okay. a loaded gun, unless you really like, he kind of bl- he throws the game. It's what a dead character. Anyway. Well, he's besti- he wouldn't have that level of an of a tan on her. <laughs> like he'd still be trying to game her. I think. Right. If she's got a gun on it, like he doesn't. He would only have that kind of a death wish if he was sick of the life or. But he wasn't sick of a life. I think he's just a sure. I think he's just has a, a delusion of immortality that he can get out of any situation by being himself. Sure, but he's yeah, also he, really good at reading people. Right, right. I guess but he I, just. Won. I think he doesn't understand how far he's pushed her, or maybe he is trying to strategize his way out of this as best he can. I don't know. I don't know. Chick with a loaded gun. Uh, did was it enjoyable to watch again? Because some of that yeah. Dave Mamet early David da- early David Mamet dialogue can get a little clunky, especially with Lindsay Krause saying it. Yeah, but it's. I mean, like I remembered what happens, so I was kind of watching the movie, like sort of enjoying the acting more because mm-hmm. I wasn't. I was ahead of the twists because I I knew them. Right. Um, and JT Walsh, it's always good to see. Him. I know, isn't it great to see him in some? Yeah. Man, I just get I so pissed guy. when when I think about the fact that he had to leave so soon. He's so yeah. good. He's so good in everything yeah. he does, and he doesn't have to do anything. He honestly yeah. does not have to do a thing, and he is so good. Yeah. God, remember him in Sling Blade? Damn, I love that I guy so much, and he's great in this. The Negotiator. Is that the last one? I don't know. That's Sam Jackson, Kevin Spacey movie. Really? Was that his last movie? 
That's the last one I remember seeing him in. He's kind of the same dude that he is usually. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, he's so good. So glad yeah. to see him again. He has to do something really tricky, too. Like, if you if you know it's coming, it's still good to watch it. Right. Uh, but it's a great movie. And if that, I think it was Mammoth's first movie, so it's a grand entrance. Yeah, you know, I... Mammoth where... Yeah, I think you're actually right. Um, and I just remember seeing it the the first time and being so taken. And I had I did I really didn't have much um, experience with Mamet, with reading Mamet or or uh, performing it at all. Um, and it was just such an amazing experience. It's it's an amazing experience. It's kind of like, and I don't mean to be pedantic, but it's like the first time you kind of hear Shakespeare. It's like you're listening to a different form of language, uh, and the way David Mamet, uh, I mean, and the way Joe Montana says his lines. I mean, it's like they are they were born to work together. He can just say those lines so perfectly. Um, and of course, getting to know Ricky Jay for the first time, and yeah. even Lindsay Krauss, who's so weird and stilted, I really still liked what she was doing in this. Uh, certainly better than I like Rebecca, Re- Rebecca Pigeon in later years. Um, yeah. Well, I saw it as like she's just a stilted character. Like that's that's supposed to like she's supposed to be that. Yeah. And she's a writer too, so she's even. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. yeah. Plus, it's she's, the '80s. It's the same year as most filing here. Yeah. Uh, so we had one listener it's write really in prompt. about House of Games. Now, we're doing this a day early, so uh, if more people write in tomorrow, my apologies to you all. But you've had two weeks, so nanny, nanny, nanny. Um, <laughs> That's a good point, too. <laughs> the one listener we had write in is Paul Weimer, and he says, Hi, guys. Uh, thank you, Dingus, for getting me to see this movie. I had not seen it before, even though I've seen a number of Mammoth films. From the Untouchables to State and Maine, I was immediately drawn, like Margaret, into the deep and twisted world of the con men. Cons within cons, long games and short, whip-smart dialogue, excellent humor, and character sketches. This is a movie that is now calling me to add it to my movie collection. Best regards. Thanks, Paul. Aw. Yeah, I, I, this is a movie that I return to every couple of years. Um, I just get sort of this hankering to hear that dialogue, to hear some of the things, uh, Joe, like, you know, oh, you're a bad pony and I'm not going to bet on you. I mean, there's so many little things like that. And, you know, from the the first way they, they lure her in and they teach her a couple of little cons just to keep things going. And, and I had forgotten that William H. Macy was in it, in that small part as a Marine. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, there's so many great little things that go on in that. And I just... I, I just think House of Games is such a gem. Yeah. They sure fucked up at the end, though, with the car. Yeah. But they are flush with uh, excitement. See what happens? See. And then she... Yeah, see... They didn't see her come in. Never mind. It was really good to see it again. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you like it. Bra. Yeah. There's always an eight. Um, all right, so uh, <laughs> is there a movie that you were in, that you were inspired to get us to watch for next week's show for the Mini Pinny Movie Club of Palooza? 
It has to be related to most violent year, so... It can be related however, uh, in whatever tangent you prefer. Um... I was eyeballing Sorcerer, because it's got trucks in it, too. <laughs> okay. But I think we've talked about Sorcerer to death on other podcasts. All right. So, um... I'm thinking either Duel or The Hitcher. <laughs> All right. You make a choice. It's up to you. When's the last time you saw Duel, I guess? Uh, I've never seen it. Oh, okay. Duel. All Here right. Here we go. Going Duel. in. Going in. We are seeing... Isn't Duel Sugar like a Land TV Express. movie? Yeah. All right. We're, go, we're doing Dennis Duel. Weaver. All right. Kelly Wan has now decreed that for the Mini Penny Movie Club of Palooza for next week, we are going to watch and discuss Duel. By his favorite director, Stephen Spielberg. And alma mater. I can't believe you haven't seen it, though. You're fucking weird, dude. I totally agree with you. Just saying. Uh, for our main movie for next week, what are we going to go see, Kelly Wand? Oh, uh, Black Cat. Black Hat, yes. Black oh. Cat. Um, we were, our fingers, we were having a hard time figuring out what we were going to see, uh, and I you know, said... Oh my God! What are we going to go see? And Tom went, "Are you kidding? There's a Michael Mann movie out. You guys are going to see Black Hat." So there you go. Fair enough. <laughs> I, the trailer goes on for nine hours. Uh, I know because I have my fingers in my ears during the whole thing, and I usually fall asleep. See, <laughs> so we're going to do that even more. See, Tom didn't have to sit through that trailer like we did. That's why we're seeing this. Uh, we're also seeing it so he doesn't have to. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And he'll actually get to listen to the podcast, which I know he looks forward to. Wait, then he wouldn't. But he okay, so it's bait for him to say, "Oh, Michael Mann movie." Exactly. Yes. Uh, all right. As long as we're as long as we're calling bait bait. And there's always bait. the off chance that I will return home and say, "Nope, you have to wait to see to listen to this podcast," and that means and that's that'll true. that'll further excite him because it'll mean, "Oh, there's something good out there." So we don't know. We don't know. It could go either way. Perhaps Thor as a hacker will be a very exciting thing. Who knows? Yeah, like I predicted, the interview will be the best, the funniest movie ever made. Right, and look how it's look possible. how that turned out. Yeah, I won that one. So now you're <laughs> going to win this one by saying Thor's the best hacker. Awesome. That's what you just predicted. All right, so what were you going to say? I was singing a song called Getting It Done. Oh, very I, good. And I was Thor hacking computer. That's what he does <laughs> my mind. All right, folks. Uh, this has been the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast. I'm a little um, sore. <laughs> a little uh, sore. Once again, we will we'll do the Mini Penny Movie Club of Palooza at the end of next week's podcast, where we will talk about Duel. Uh, please join us next week for the main movie, which will be Black Hat. Um, uh, if you uh, if you do get a chance to see Duel, please drop us a line at uh, Quarter to Three at i'm sorry three by three three x three at quarter to three dot com and let us know uh, give us a few pithy comments about duel what do you think about it um and we'll read them on the air as you heard me do that this week uh or if you have anything else any other sentiment you'd like to talk about for our top 10 movies or anything like that uh please do go to quarter three dot com and give comments on the front page um like us on Facebook or and follow us on Twitter at quarter to three. So uh, I have been Christian Morosky, um, and Kelly is as always 
Kelly Wand. If you can't get dual, like an episode of BJ and the Bear, or Sheriff Lobo. La la la. La 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 la. Uh, I'm so happy you saw Lock. 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 Father. When I look in my back seat, that's what I see too. Wah. Wah. That's. Do your line from the movie. I don't have a line from the movie. What movie are you trying uh, to explain? <laughs> I, like, I like to own the things I use. How about that? Uh, 